Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Agent of Influence podcast. I'm your host, Nabil Hanan, Managing Director at NetSpy. In this podcast, we discuss life as a security leader and challenges and opportunities that accompany the job. Listen to our past episodes at www.netspy.com slash agent of influence or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we're joined by Mark Rubinaccio. Hi, Mark. Hi, Nabil. Mark is the Senior Compliance Manager at SecureFrame, who is passionate about supporting firms to achieve real security reduction through regulatory compliance, security audits, penetration testing, and more. He began his career as a pen tester and now helps dozens of SecureFrame customers achieve and maintain certifications, especially with his expertise in PCI DSS. So Mark, thank you for joining today. We like to get started with a rapid fire round of questions to get to know you better. So if you're ready, we can get started. Sure, I'm ready to go. First question, Apple or Android? So I have an Android now, but I would switch to Apple. I only have an Android now because it's a few years old and I don't really want to pay for a new phone. So right now, Android, future Apple. Okay. What is the most used app on your phone? And let's not talk about like texting or email. Okay. Uh, the most used app on my phone is probably Spotify. I love listening to music especially while I'm working. So Spotify is running at least eight hours a day on my phone. Awesome. What's the best lesson learned from your first job? The best lesson learned from my first job? Well, my first job was at McDonald's and my second job was at Taco Bell. So I was a, a fast food connoisseur growing up as a, as a kid. The lesson learned at those first couple of jobs were hard work means you earn money, I guess. When I was a teenager, showing up to work means I got a paycheck, which means I could spend money on things that I wanted. So I learned early on that working hard was important to enjoy your life outside of work and, and during work, I guess. So if you could live anywhere, where would it be? That's a good question. I love where I live now, which is New York City. Growing up in New Jersey, I didn't really have too much travel experience. So when I moved to New York, I learned to love the culture here, the events, the things that you can do. And it's a great hub for traveling to and from other places as well. So I love where I live here in New York. I think this is going to be home base for me, at least for a while, and unless something spontaneous happens. Makes a lot of sense. So what's your favorite meal of the day, breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Well, I skip breakfast every day. I'm a, I'm a coffee for breakfast kind of person. My favorite meal is probably dinner then. I do love to cook. And after a good workout, coming home and cooking a full dinner is probably my favorite meal of the day. Is there a specific dish that you cook that you're known for? <laughs> I would say maybe Italian food. So pasta and pasta sauce. I grew up in an Italian household where I learned how to make a pasta sauce from my mother who learned from her grandmother. And Hopefully, I do it in a respectful way that my mom would be proud of. But yeah, I would say my pasta sauce is pretty good. Cool, cool. So what's your favorite holiday? My favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a holiday where my family and I get together every single year. So sometimes during like Christmas, I like to travel, especially because it's a lot cheaper and airports are less busy during Christmas. So I, I travel during Christmas. But uh, Thanksgiving is always a holiday where, where me and my family get together. What would you describe as your passion? My passion is just to really in, enjoy life as much as I can. I don't know if that's a real answer, but um, I, I'm not passionate about anything in particular, but more so everything. I like to just make sure that what I'm doing when it comes to work, when it comes to activities outside of work is just fulfilling and something that I'm, I'm happy about. 
So maybe we can say living in the moment. You're passionate about living in the moment. Living in the moment. That that works for me. What was the last thing you read? The last thing I read. So my girlfriend and I are reading the Brandon Sanderson Stormlight Archive books. It's like a fictional novel. And the last book I read was the second book in that series, which was Words of Radiance. The books are about a thousand pages long. So... It, it took us about a year to finish the first two books. We're on to the third one, which is even longer than the first and second one. So slowly but surely getting through that series. Oh, that's awesome. What would you say is the favorite part of your job? The favorite part of my job is working with our customers. So my job right now consists of working on our product, working on the specific compliance frameworks within our product, working with our marketing team and partnership team but also working with our customers. And as a previous auditor, my favorite part of my previous job was going on site and working with our customers to you know, make sure that we can help them build a better security posture. So that kind of translated into my career now. And my favorite part of my job is working with our customers and learning about their service, what they're passionate about, and then helping them achieve a strong security posture. So in that vein, what's the least favorite part of your job? So the least favorite part of my job is probably something that a lot of people would enjoy. And I think that is uh, working from home five days a week. I wish we had an opportunity or an office where I can chit chat with my coworkers in person or see them more than how often our offsites happen. And, you know, being in a small studio apartment in New York City, it's kind of tough to work from home five days a week, something that I'm sure a lot of people would disagree with, especially if they commute to work. But um, yeah, I think that's probably the least favorite part of my job. If we had an office or if I could just escape my apartment for a little bit and work with my coworkers, that would make things a lot better. All right. What is your favorite cybersecurity event or conference? I've been to a couple now, especially here at SecureFrame. They kind of ship me off to all of these startup conventions. I've been to Saster. I've been to Collision. And uh, my favorite security conference that I've ever been to was DEF CON. And that was a few years ago when I was working at my previous firm. It was a great experience. The talks were all way over my head, to be honest, in terms of like technical security talks. But I uh, met a lot of great people. The after hours events were a lot of fun. And uh, I would totally go again. All right. And then the last question, who is your favorite mentor and why? My favorite mentor is probably my dad, to be honest. He's always been incredibly hardworking. He has a really long commute, works early, gets up early in the day, works long eight hours every day to support our family. And that's been something that really drives me and motivates me. We're super lucky to be able to work remotely, not have to put in that super long commute, which makes your work day take up most of the day. Uh, so yeah, my dad is definitely my mentor. Well, that's the rapid fire round for you. And, you know, here you go telling us about how you want to go out and, and meet people. And then now you're, you want to work from home. You know, it's, it's funny how that works, right? But it's all about balance. I think it's all about finding the right balance between having to commute versus getting the work done and making the best use of time. So, uh, yeah, we're definitely lucky to have technology that enables us to have a lot of flexibility, right, in, in what we do. So, Mark, let's get into it. Let's talk about some of the topics that we want to talk about with you today. You know, one of the biggest things is around compliance that I want to discuss with you. You know, often I find that organizations are easily distracted by focusing on compliance. And we all know that compliance doesn't necessarily equate to being secure or being resilient to certain things. 
what are some ways that organizations should maybe think about compliance in a way where they're staying, you know, and adhering to the different pressures that different regulatory and compliance bodies bring without actually sacrificing the security and the maturity of their security efforts? Yeah, great question. The first thing I'd like to touch on is the fact that a lot of people do say that compliance does not mean you're secure. I hear this sentiment really often on like LinkedIn and other places where these experts talk about compliance in general. I actually disagree with the fact that compliance does not mean you're secure. Of course, there's with the caveat that there's no such thing as being 100% secure. You know, when I first started my career in audit, I was working with highly established corporations, organizations that have already gone through audits for multiple years and have the budget for SIM, EDR, around the clock, incident response, other really expensive security technology, right? And for these companies, audit and compliance efforts were more of like a check the box exercise and like a nuisance instead of a serious way to determine if there are gaps within their security posture. When you think about it, like configuring antivirus software, ensuring you have an inventory of your assets, logging different actions that are taken within your environment, they all seem pretty insignificant when your organization has been doing this for years with established processes and even going above and beyond in some cases. Now, I do believe that it's rare that compliance requirements would actually conflict with a mature security program of even like the biggest corporations with the strongest security posture, but it it's definitely possible. And framework councils now are starting to realize that technology is moving way faster than these frameworks can actually keep up with. For example, PCI DSS just released their newest version, which includes a customized approach. The customized approach allows organizations to meet requirements in a more flexible way, where if requirements conflicted with your strong security posture or security control already in place, the organization wouldn't necessarily have to sacrifice anything in their security program, as long as they can prove to that auditor that whatever is implemented now meets the intent of the requirement. This, for example, would allow bigger, more established organizations to stay compliant without sacrificing anything within their security program. Now, those folks that I hear state compliance doesn't mean you're secure are usually from those same organizations or have the same sentiment that security means implementing a SIM with implementing SOAR, implementing EDR, all of these like expensive technologies that are absolutely great, but for startups and even small businesses could be completely unaffordable. In the case of like a startup or a small business that is looking into compliance, maybe because they saw an ad for SecureFrame or one of their customers are asking them for a SOC 2 report, these are the customers that I believe can become secure Again, not 100% secure, but definitely secure through compliance. Many of the customers that I work with today are so driven to develop their application, their product, or their service that security is not really at the top of mind for them. For these startups, it's, it's rare for me to see proper logging and monitoring configured. For workstation security is usually non-existent. Change control isn't a thing in these organizations. 
I've seen like organizations where their production application has never been scanned for vulnerabilities and their AWS configurations have not been reviewed for vendor best practices or anything like that. In my opinion, SOC 2, ISO 27001, these frameworks are an amazing way for startups and small businesses to build a baseline security posture that they can not only be proud of, but also be confident that their customer's data is indeed secure. So I tend to agree with you that a lot of these compliance frameworks have come a long way, especially in accepting that there needs to be a custom approach. There isn't a one-size-fits-all solution that works for everybody. That being said, ultimately, you're held accountable to these auditors. For example, the PCI DSS example that you used. We recently spoke to Heather Hershey from Raymond James and talked about some of the major changes in PCI DSS 4.0. So my question for you really is, what do organizations need to do to be better prepared for changes coming in compliance frameworks? And are there things they should be doing to make the transition as seamless as possible? Yeah, absolutely. I actually listened to Heather's episode and she did bring up a lot of great points regarding the changes for PCI 4.0. Overall, there are many changes to current requirements for PCI 4.0, such as stricter multi-factor authentication and stronger password security requirements. There's also brand new controls and requirements throughout the report and the SAQs. The organizations that I think are going to be most impacted from PCI 4.0 are those that are maintaining an SAQA. The SAQA is used when merchants are outsourcing all of their aspects of payment processing, capturing, storage, transmission of cardholder data to a third-party service provider. And the reason why these changes are in place is due to the increase in e-skimming attacks against these payment pages. The SAQA now actually requires controls around those scripts that are used for redirects and the iframes or any script that's executed in the customer's browser for that matter. Now, not only is security around those scripts required for the SAQA, but also external vulnerability scanning is required as well. So depending on which framework you're adhering to, it's important that you do review those changes made so you know for when those changes are implemented, what needs to be implemented or configured within those controls to maintain your compliance. Another significant change for PCI 4.0, like we talked about before, is the customized approach. One thing that I believe is most organizations should still be trying to meet the PCI requirements as they're stated within the report. But if there are implementations already in place that meet the intent of the control, instead of like re-engineering how that control is implemented, you could still meet that requirement by filling out a customized approach document and proving to the auditor that what you have implemented today actually meets the requirement being asked by PCI. Now, to proactively prepare for these changes, I would recommend reviewing the new reports. You can download all of the new reports from the PCI Council's website. If you're meeting uh, PCI compliance via an SAQD, for example, you could download that report and review all of the changes made between 3.2.1 and the new 4.0 version. One other caveat is there are some controls that are only best practice until 2025 as well. 
So it's important to understand which controls you need to be meeting by 2024, which is the expiration of 3.2.1, and then those controls that are only best practice until 2025, and we'll give you a little bit more time in regards to implementation. One thing that I highly recommend is, let's say you're level one compliant, I would recommend reaching out directly to your QSA. Your QSA is familiar with your environment, audited your environment in the past, and they can help you prepare for your first 4.0 audit. They'll understand exactly how the changes made affect your particular service and your environment and will help guide you towards implementation and configuration for the new version. The best thing to do is having that expert in your corner. You know, somebody who really is an expert in the frameworks that you are meeting and you can lean on to help guide you in regards to any changes, whether it's PCI or any of the other frameworks that are changing on a regular basis. Speaking about that, right, the regulatory and compliance space is obviously ever evolving and changes happen on a regular basis. Are there any best practices or tips you have for organizations on how to keep up with them? Yeah, totally. To be really honest, it's difficult to keep up with all of the changes within you know, the regulatory compliance space. It's my day job as a compliance officer, and I still really only focus on PCI. I have to refer to my colleagues to like explain to me what's going on with ISO 27001's new update, CPRA, and even like SOC 2 had some updates the last quarter. Now, what I recommend for any organization that might have a security engineer or might not have a security engineer is to really just focus on the frameworks that you are currently adhering to, of course, or frameworks that affect your industry in general. Now, not only that, you can research all of that as you want. You know, there's a lot of information online, of course, but the strongest and most powerful tool you have are the experts that you work with, whether they're third-party consultants or, you know, if you work with SecureFrame, we have that support. Or if you have a particular auditor that you use to perform your audits, that would be an expert that you can lean on in regards to the framework. Let's say you're currently meeting SOC 2. I would recommend reaching directly to your auditor if you've heard that there are changes being made to the framework, and then your auditor would be able to explain to you exactly what had changed and specifically if those changes may affect your environment and your implementation as it stands today. Okay, that's very helpful. So let's shift a little bit. I'm curious, we often talk about starting a cybersecurity initiative or cybersecurity program from scratch, like from the ground up. And there are a lot of new leaders who are getting started with cybersecurity as part of their organization. Are there certain compliance frameworks that you typically recommend people start with if they're getting started on cyber or if they're inheriting a security program? Yeah, there absolutely are. And Right now, I currently work with and I have worked with hundreds of startups and small businesses. Some of these organizations have a background in security and have security controls already in place. But other startups and small businesses are like a full team of three developers trying to spin up their service, their features, their application as quickly as possible so they can you know, sell more of their service. Most of the time, these organizations all have something in common, whether you're more established or you're a startup with three developers. And that commonality is that they store, process, transmit, or can just impact the security of their customers' data. And thankfully, there is a solution 
to building a baseline security program that also builds trust with your customers and even enables sales for prospective customers. And that is compliance. And there are industry-specific frameworks such as HIPAA and PCI DSS, and that would be probably in the forefront of my recommendation if that's the industry that your organization services. But let's say your organization is just handling like generic customer data or just sensitive customer data like social security numbers or something like that, and you're looking to build a security program from the ground up, then I would personally recommend either SOC 2 or ISO 27001. If you're doing business mostly internationally, I would recommend the more internationally recognized ISO 27001. But if most of your business is in the United States, then likely your customers will be asking you for a SOC 2 attestation. I believe that both of these frameworks do a great job of helping you establish that baseline security program with requirements around policies and procedures, access control, change management, and and even risk management. Many of the customers that I work with today have never even performed a risk assessment. And these frameworks require a full risk management program, including the assessment and tracking those risks in the future as well. These frameworks are also built to help ensure that your current security program is configured properly, ensuring that security groups and firewall rules only allow required traffic, monitoring for specifically defined security metrics, and the entire scope of your service is included in a vulnerability management program. So if you've never looked into SOC 2 or ISO 27001, I would highly recommend doing so, especially if you want to beef up your current security program or if you feel like you have no established security program. Let's talk a little bit about the partnership that we have between SecureFrame and NetSpy. So obviously, we're partners in the industry, and I would love your perspective on how you see the intersection of penetration testing and GRC, and potentially how does pen testing support different GRC initiatives and vice versa? Yeah, absolutely. So I believe that performing a penetration test is an incredibly critical part of your vulnerability management program. Vulnerability scanners will perform fingerprinting against operating system versions and software versions, compare them to like publicly released vulnerable versions, and vulnerability scanners can also perform fuzzing, which is mass injecting data to discover malfunctions or vulnerabilities within your application or input fields in general. In the context of a penetration test, what a vulnerability scanner does is really only the first phase of like an actual penetration test. Penetration testers use that data that vulnerability scanners find to try and exploit that vulnerability pivot into other systems or files, and escalate their privileges to obtain even more data and access. These additional steps performed by a penetration tester really dig up those deep flaws and vulnerabilities within your environment as a whole. And compliance frameworks have picked up on how important the penetration test really is, with PCI, FedRAMP, high trust, all requiring penetration tests annually and when significant changes occur. This is why our partnership is so important. There are some frameworks that currently do not have a hard requirement regarding requiring a penetration test, such as like ISO 27001, 
And I have even seen some auditors not require a penetration test for like a SOC 2 type 1. And I think that's incredibly unfortunate considering how important a penetration test really is. I personally actually think it's time to require social engineering engagements as a compliance requirement. Phishing and social engineering is easily the number one way attackers gain access to data and credentials. People are likely your weakest security link. So it's important to do what you can to mitigate the chances of a successful social engineering attack. And having an offensive security firm like NetSpy perform a custom social engineering engagement is a great way to do so. So I think there's major overlap between penetration testing and GRC compliance initiatives. And I personally think there should be even more overlap. That's helpful. And yeah, definitely good to know. And I tend to agree. I think there's a lot of opportunity for really seeing the value of manual pen testing as organizations get more mature and truly want to understand what their exposure is, right, to different types of attacks and and weaknesses. So Mark, last thing we like to do on the podcast is to continue to get to know our guests a little more intimately and personally. So would love to learn from you if you have certain things you enjoy doing outside of work and outside of security. You mentioned going to the gym and cooking, etc. But is there something that you really love doing outside of work that you want to share with us? So we kind of chatted about how I'm working from home and I'm working in my apartment. One of my favorite things is to escape my apartment and even escape New York City sometimes. During the winter, I love snowboarding and I love traveling to snowboard. And the East Coast is known as the Ice Coast to a lot of snowboarders. And uh, that's because of um, Vermont and the kind of weather that we get up here. So it's always nice to travel to Colorado or Utah and the West Coast of California, where they get a lot better snow, and the mountains are a lot nicer. So I do love traveling, and and I do love snowboarding. One of my most passionate hobbies is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu here in New York City under Marcelo Garcia. I've been training Jiu-Jitsu for about six years now, and it's a great martial art. I feel like not only is it an amazing workout, but you meet a lot of great people. You build strong friendships with the people that I train with. And also, it's like problem solving and wrestling combined. You're basically doing chess while trying to choke somebody unconscious, uh, which is uh, a lot of fun for me. So yeah, uh, those are a couple of my, my hobbies outside of work. If you had to pick a favorite place where you've snowboarded or the place that, that you know, you'd recommend people go if they are into snowboarding, what would that be? Oh, man. My favorite place of all time I've ever been is probably Whistler, which is near Vancouver in Canada. The mountain, the resort is amazing. There's a gondola that connects the two resorts, Blackcomb and Whistler, and it goes right over the valley. And you get an amazing view of like both of the resorts at the same time. Vancouver is a really fun city to visit as well. So yeah, if you can make it out to Whistler, I, I would recommend it. Awesome. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time and and your thoughts and insights. This was really fun and we appreciate it. Hopefully we get to talk again soon. Sounds good, Nabil. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. If you want to join us as a guest on the podcast or have a recommended guest, please email us at podcast at netspy.com. Until next time.